everybody puts their boots on the same way. And what that means is it doesn't matter your title here. You know, it could be the people on our leadership team, you know, Bill and I, or it could be, you know, the person coming in their first day on the job on the assembly line. Everyone is the same and everyone's going to be treated the same. And if it goes back to that first one, we work until it's done. If there are boxes that need to go out the door or we need to make more barbells, you're going to see the top leadership down going out and helping right now. And, uh, you know, we did get overrun before we could hire some people. We have everyone in our office right now. They are doing shifts on our production floor. And that's really what this is all about. And you see people, you get experiences that you normally wouldn't have. Like to go out and build a barbell and, and maybe you're in our IT department. Like a lot of places you wouldn't have that opportunity. But we live by that standard. Everybody puts their boots on the same way. Hello and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this episode, I sat down with Katie Henniger, 2008 CrossFit Games champion and key leader at Rogue Fitness alongside her husband and Rogue Fitness owner, Bill. If you're familiar with CrossFit or fitness, there's no doubt that you've heard of, used, or are maybe an owner of equipment from Rogue Fitness. The company has grown from an idea shortly after Bill Henniger started CrossFit himself in 2005 to a major manufacturing and distribution operation with over 800 employees and a $50 million, 600,000 square foot facility in downtown Columbus. Rogue's longtime focus on American-made equipment, supporting their local economy, and the Industrial Revolution 2.0 has positioned them perfectly to help in the COVID-19 pandemic. And they've stepped up in unbelievable ways, from designing and manufacturing PPE, to hiring hundreds of new employees, and matching $100,000 in support of CrossFit's Support Your Local Box fundraiser, as well as sponsoring $150,000 to Beyond the Whiteboard for virtual coaching tools for gym owners. It's been amazing to watch them thrive during this time, and I wanted to catch up with Katie to talk more about Rogue Fitness as a company and how they've been able to pivot so seamlessly to help in this challenging time. Now, Katie is a rock star in her own right. Before marrying Bill and contributing to the success of Rogue over the past 12 plus years, she was a basketball standout in high school and at Ohio State, where she earned honors such as the Edward S. Stites Award for the nation's best three-point shooter. She was named second team all Big Ten three years in a row and then went on to play for the Charlotte Sting in the WNBA and was inducted into the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame this year in 2020. It wasn't long after her basketball career ended that Katie discovered CrossFit, and soon after that, she found herself on the top of the podium at the 2008 CrossFit Games, earning the title of Fittest Woman on Earth. She has continued to support the CrossFit Games as a commentator for ESPN and through her work with Rogue, who supplies the equipment for the Games every year. This was a really inspiring conversation with Katie, and toward the middle of the episode, we also looped in Amik Jones, who is the Director of Product Development at Rogue and has a background as an MD radiologist and a CrossFit affiliate owner. He provided some insight on the PPE product design and manufacturing that Rogue has been working on. Before we dive into this episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. 
right. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Katie Henniger of Rogue Fitness. Um, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to sit down for a while and who knew it would take coronavirus and <laughs> all to make it happen. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's true with, uh, even some of uh, my friends, right? It's, yeah. it's crazy that, uh, you do zoom meetings now instead of seeing people in person and it takes years sometimes. It's so true. I think I've had more zoom calls with my college friends than I have over the past 10 years. <laughs> yeah. In the past month. So awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I know you guys are crazy busy right now. Um, and you know, I want to get into a lot of the details of what Rogue is doing to respond to the coronavirus pandemic because I think it's amazing. I think so many people already were in awe of Rogue and had so much respect for the company, but the things you're doing now, I think, even more so. And you know, I know it's not by accident that you've been in a position to be able to do the things that you are doing now. So I want to spend some time talking about just the background and the history. Um, I know your history, you know, we all first met you in the CrossFit community as the winner of the 2008 CrossFit Games. Um, but what was your background prior to that? And then how did you find CrossFit? Uh, so my background is uh, in athletics. I went to Ohio State and played basketball for the Buckeyes. Um, went on to play professionally for a couple years uh, in the WNBA. And I broke my foot my final year playing. And I wasn't sure if I was going to go back. And the guy I was training with at the time in Columbus said, hey, you need to go try this workout out. It's called CrossFit. There's a, a place out in Gahanna. Um, and I signed you up for a class. So I went out there. Uh, Bill, who is my husband now, uh, owned the gym and, and was the trainer. And, you know, from the first workout, I went in and crushed it. I think it had like heavy thrusters and, and maybe some pull-ups. But I love the competitive atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, it's all relative now because I think heavy thrusters at the time, you know, 95 pounds, something like that. Uh, and now these, these uh, females are doing crazy numbers uh, and even in the guys as well. But um, crushed it that, that and it was, I needed that competitive fire to be taken away. And I knew, you know, basketball wasn't always going to be there for me. And I was, I was good with where I was and what I had accomplished. And I was maybe ready to make that transition. I, I got a job at Ohio State being a project manager on the new uh, James Cancer Hospital that just opened up, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, tells you how long that takes to, to build something like that. Yeah. Um, but right, I mean, I think that was in February of 08. And two months later, they announced uh, the CrossFit Games and Bill came in on a Saturday. We used to have Saturday throwdowns at one o'clock. And he came in and he's like, Hey, I signed you and Eric and Jay, uh, the guys I trained with at the time up for the CrossFit games. You know, you didn't have to qualify. You could just, you know, pay money and, and go and had no idea what it was about. And, you know, we went out there in July and it was every second count. So a lot different than they do the scoring now. And a lot has changed, but was the most unique, um, athletic event I've ever been to. You know, I, I did track in high school. So an individual event, um, outside of the, the team thing, but coming off, you know, 20 years of being on, on a team and, and having teammates around you to like that last workout was just me in the corner of this dirt lot, you know, doing 30 uh, heavy clean and jerks um, for time. And when I finished, somebody handed me a beer and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. You know, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, that competitiveness is, is really what I thrive on. And even today, you know, I still do CrossFit now. And, and that kind of, for me, is a stress relief. It keeps me sane. And, you know, I guess throughout this whole last month, I think that's been the biggest thing for me is I take 45 minutes to an hour, six days a week, and I get in the gym just to have a little bit of 
of me time and and get that release out and um that's been you know from 2008 to now that's that's really what i was looking for that's awesome so you know didn't know what you're signing up for but ended up winning the games <laughs> i think a yeah. lot of people you know in that position might say oh this is really cool i want to compete again and kind of see where i go and, and you know at that point we had no idea where crossfit was going or where the games were going but you really ended up putting a lot of your focus into rogue at that point so can you talk about what was happening with Rogue? You know, 2008, I think Bill had officially started it in 2006. So it was early on. Yeah. Kind of how did, I mean, first of all, maybe how did Rogue come about? And then where were you guys at in that time period? Yeah, so Bill started Rogue in 2006 out of his garage in, in Toledo, Ohio. He was working for a GM uh, up there at the time. And uh, he was running it as, you know, he had the affiliate up there, but he also had this uh, equipment space because at the time you could order online, but you had to order from, you know, let's say six to eight different vendors. You could go to Dynamax for Medball, Penlight for Barbells, Gill for some of your accessories, but there really wasn't one shop where you could get everything. And uh, he was at uh, University of Michigan at the time getting his MBA and uh, used that kind of as a class project, but, you know, that one-stop shop to, to get it together. Uh, but it was slow. And, and, and in 2008, uh, you know, we had our first squat stand. The gymnastics rings were actually our first metal product. Um, and at the time, like I said, I was, we started dating, you know, and uh, we got married very quickly in 2009. But I started, you know, just packing boxes um, for them for free while, you know, coming and train. And then in the fall of 2009, I started, well, I started in 2008 full time, but 2009, we got a huge, um, a big military order. It was to outfit every Marine base in the world. They were doing a Semper Fit program. And at the time, we did an inventory product. We uh, had never shipped freight. We had never shipped internationally. And we got this big, uh, we, they, they took us. And uh, I think we were all a little bit surprised, but it, it helped us inventory product. It helped us turn around um, orders in 24 hours. And that's something that we hold true today is that, you know, if you order a five, you know, a $5 product or a larger freight order, a whole gym order, it will ship in 24 hours. Yeah. And that's really, you know, where the industry is going, right? E-commerce, every, you know, with Amazon and, and everyone else, it's fast shipping times. And that's really, we wanted to be and still want to be, you know, the best strength and conditioning company in the world where it's one-stop shop. And that can be anything from a t-shirt all the way up to a, a very customized facility. Wow. Um, but at the time, you know, it was only three of us. And uh, now, um, you know, a month ago, we had 650 employees. And in the last four weeks, we've hired 212 employees. Uh, we've onboarded them. We've went to, you know, three shifts, seven days a week. Uh, we were running two shifts. Um, and that's, uh, we're, we're upwards, we're going to be upwards of 900 come May. Um, and that's uh, scary and amazing all at the same time. That's really amazing. Um, and throughout these years also, I mean, think, I think it was shortly after that, around 2010 or 11, maybe you became the official equipment sponsor of the CrossFit yep. Games. And that's where I think, you know, people have really been able to see what you're capable of in terms of some, some of these crazy rigs and really creative equipment that you've been able to make. What did that partnership with CrossFit do for Rogue? Well, I think to go back to your previous question that I probably didn't answer, I went a roundabout way, is that, you know, my, my competitive um, career kind of came to a close when we did that. So I, I competed in 2009 2010, we became the official uh, equipment supplier. And for, for us, the way that, you know, that Dave and CrossFit program is that it's a lot of secret stuff that we, 
work on, you know, Bill and he work pretty much all year round, like right after the games is over, they start planning for the next year. And, you know, obviously not fair if I'm involved in that and know kind of what is coming. And that, that was the choice that I made. I knew Rogue was starting to take off and uh, I knew that I could still, you know, keep myself in good enough shape for all the athletes that were coming in or whoever I was around to stay competitive. Um, and for me, mentally, that was good because I'm a really competitive person. Um, but, you know, that in 2010, it, it moved to um, the Home Depot Center and, and having that, uh, I think the you know, first big thing we did was the obstacle course there in the tennis stadium. And after that, you know, <laughs> I think uh, Bill and Dave hit the ground running and they have a great partnership of uh, developing some really crazy things that maybe we don't even think is uh, capable, you know, or like that we, <laughs> we're capable of pulling off. And I think that's been so fun to do some of those you know, the Zeus rig or the obstacle course or, you know, the pig, some of the, the one-off items that, you know, they may get used for 10 minutes and it takes us a year to design and, and develop. And, uh, but that's what makes it cool. You know, the, the, those are the projects that are, that are fun to be part of. Yeah. It's been really cool. Really cool to watch. And now not only are you supplying equipment for the CrossFit games, but you're also in USAW and Strongman, the Arnold. Um, I mean, how, how I, I think in the past couple of years, we've started to see Rogue, you know, really branch out of CrossFit and do a lot of these other sports. What has that, is that something you've always wanted to do or what has that process been like? I think it's always something we wanted to do. Obviously, CrossFit was a catalyst for us to, you know, kind of like spread that bubble of like how many people are touching a barbell. You know, I think there's a heck of a lot more people um, using a barbell now than there were in 2008. And I think that's continuing to grow and, and we're seeing that today. And I think if you look at it, you know, just functional fitness in general, or, you know, with CrossFit, people get into it and they're like, well, maybe I like the Olympic list better. So, you know, USAW's numbers are way up, you know, or, or I get into it and, you know, I like the stronger side. So maybe I'm going to go try powerlifting or strongman and you're seeing those sports grow. And I think naturally for us, that gives us the ability to kind of get out into those sports. But, you know, for us, we launched the Iron Game this past year. It's a, a show that we're doing, you know, about every other month now. That's really for us to bring more, you know, eyes on those sports. Because we really just want, we have a really, uh, you know, Bill and I and Rogue, just the passion for the sports to grow. And we want those athletes to have a bigger platform, those sports to have a bigger platform. And in turn, we can make cool equipment. And we can take feedback from those communities or those athletes, you know, that we're working with, you know, we're, you know, you, you talked about the Arnold or USAW, we've gotten great feedback on, you know, product development side of the house. And that's really how that whole ecosystem should work. It's not, you know, what we think it's best. It's what everybody, you know, can kind of give us suggestions and how we can get better. And that allows us to stay agile and how we do our, you know, manufacturing and development. And that really plays a part into how quickly we were able to kind of pivot and do some of the stuff that we're doing in the last month with PPE and things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember even, I guess it was maybe in the fall, there was, is it a documentary that you guys had put out about um, maybe a strong man or it was leading up to the Arnold, some training. It was on, I, I was at like a Globo gym and I was on a treadmill and all of a sudden this show comes on and it's by Rogue and I'm like, well, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And that's, uh, for us, it's about piecing together, like the history of every, like all of it, like the sport, whether that's, uh, you know, we do have a documentary series, the legends, and that's covering like, you know, people that started strongman or started, you know, powerlifting and, and really bringing all these groups together to see that like in this iron game, we're not that far apart. 
mm-hmm. right? We all have a passion for something. And I think last year at the Invitational was really our first uh, chance to kind of put that together where we brought in some strong men and strong women. Mm-hmm. And we did some record breakers. And, you know, like the crowd had just watched them do, I think, the chipper workout. So it had um, some power snatches at the end, 135 pounds. And then you have Kristen Rhodes come out and Leifa, and they did 165-pound dumbbell overhead. And that translates because the people, you know, that have a passion for what they're doing and lifting weights, uh, they can say like, holy cow, that is a lot of weight. That is awesome. You know, the crowd went wild. And that's, I mean, for me, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Like that's... (laughs) That's what we're trying to, to get out there and um, piece together, not only the history, but like how far we've come. And if you look at our products, we're trying to do the same thing. You know, barbell, how do they progress and, and how do you make it better? And, and listening to all these um, athletes or, you know, and or coaches um, and, and being able to just be a part of that story, I think is, is really fun. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool to learn about the history too. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the Rogue Invitational. That was obviously a huge event last year. Um, and part of it was, I think, so many people being able to see your new facility. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, I had been to your old facility many times doing seminars, which was impressive in and of itself. But, you know, when did you guys decide that this was something you wanted to do? And then can you just talk a little bit about what the new facility involves and what it has allowed you to do? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, as we've progressed, uh, we started out where we had the gym and we had some offices and a little bit of, um, a little bit of, uh, you know, warehouse space beside that. And then we get up to where, uh, you're knocking down a wall every three months. So we moved out into a new building and that's the one that you, you had been in a lot. Um, and each time, okay, we brought on manufacturing, that's a new building. And then distribution couldn't work out of the office space that we were in. So we brought in, uh, you know, a warehouse. So, automatically, you know, we're into four different buildings. And for a while, it was we literally manufactured on on one side of the highway, put it in a truck, took it across the highway to our distribution center. And there would be days that it would come off the powder coat line, go into a semi, go across the highway, and then go right out to the customer. Um, And that just logistically, that did not make sense. So at, you know, at the end there, there we were in five buildings. And you know, to kind of get to each building every day and, and the transportation it was taking, we started talking, you know, in 2000, probably 13, 14, that we needed to really have it under one roof and the efficiencies that we would gain with that. And, um, you know, we, we could have went south of the city, we could have went outside the outer belt into like a industrial place and, and it would have been great. And we could have had a, you know, a lot of square footage like we have here, but Bill and I really wanted to be a part of the the community here. You know, Columbus has been great to us. And, when we started looking, the land that we came is 37 acres. Um, it had been sitting vacant for a while, and it just came available um, when we started looking. It was like it was kind of meant to be, and we drove by it and we're like, "This is where we want to be." You know, it's really it's a mile from downtown Columbus, um, and it's really uh, kind of unique to have the operation that we have here, like within basically the city limits. And uh, you know, it's it's different because we have, we're not just a manufacturing facility and we're not just a distribution hub. Um, we have our own IT program or our own IT team and e-commerce and creative and customer service counting, you name it is all in this building. And you know, a lot, there's not a lot of companies that kind of put that together in, in one. Um, so it was like, let's build something that people are excited to, to come to. 
Um, let's build something in the community that we want to be a part of and, and help that community grow. Um, you know, the, the place that was here before us um, was Timken Bering, and they used to uh, employ 2,000 people. You know, and, and then this place sat, sat vacant for, you know, 20 to 30 years and really bring, bringing that industry back in and being able to hire from the community that, you know, their parents worked at the facility and things like that. That's a really cool story uh, to be a part of. And like I said, the, the city and, and the Milo Grogan community here has been great to us. And, uh, you know, we want to give back it as much as we can. But yeah, now you could have a design happen and it could go out to the production floor. We could, um, you know, run a prototype and potentially, you know, the next week we could be running production and then going out to the customer all within these walls. And um, I think we thought that, you know, I don't think we thought we'd be at 900 people this, this quickly, you know, moving in, in, in 2016 and, and here we are, we need to, uh, we need more space. So we're out of space already. <laughs> and uh, looking at, looking at a, another building here close uh, as we have some property around us, but you know, what does that look like in, in a year or two years? I, I'm not sure, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. Take over Columbus and then Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing. I mean, it was amazing to be there and see it. And I mean, just to give people an idea, I think you said it's six six hundred thousand square feet. Yep. So had you know the arena where the final events were was housed in the building, and that was just a very small corner of this <laughs> building, which is just mind blowing to think about. Um, and I think. Uh, I think having the invitational here was a way to say, Hey, here's what we do. Cause it's hard to see from the outside. You just see the concrete walls, right? It's like, what all do we do in here? Um, but now that space is, is there's a lot of product out there now. So like if we were to have the invitational right now, that wouldn't happen. Uh, cause we're using it as some storage. Um, but yeah, 600,000 square feet when we, when we moved in, uh, just vertically, you, you gain so much being in the same, same building, but it also allows us to, um, you know, do, do some cool things with the Invitational and hopefully, you know, come next year, we can, we can have it back in the building. Yeah. And, you know, being, like you said, having all of this under one building and having such a strong focus on, you know, manufacturing and making everything in Columbus and in the USA has positioned you really well for what's happening now. but. You guys talk a lot about this industrial revolution 2.0. Can you talk about what that means and how that's been a part of the development of Rogue? I mean, it's been central. You know, we, we've worked really hard to uh, and care a lot about, about making products here in the U.S. And, and the way that we look at a product is if we can make it in-house, we're going to make it. And if, if we can't, we look in Columbus, then we look in Ohio, and then we look in the, in the rest of the country and and how we can help, you know, develop that. But that's really about what we're trying to do is create jobs for the, um, the city here. And we have a lot of really great people that just want to do great work and they work really hard at it. And, you know, that may sound cliche, but that's really what makes this business work. And, you know, it's kind of the same uh, in the CrossFit community. You go in, you, you want people to work hard. You want people to uh, take care of their gyms and, and their own community. And that's really, you know, what we do here is, try to hire great people that, that really have that same vision of, you know, making, being proud of making products here in the U S and um, you know, we go through on, on a typical day about 150,000 pounds of steel a day. And that, that's our goal, you know, bring, bring that industry back here when a lot of people aren't doing that. And, and we're proud of that. So if, if we can continue to do that, we're going to continue to create jobs. And, you know, in this time frame right now, that's, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's really, you know, I think 
a lot of companies, probably other companies are looking towards you as an example because so I think so many companies now are, you know, it's very rare to have 100% of your supply chain and your manufacturing here in the US. And, and now, especially with what's going on, it's, we're seeing other industries really struggle. So it's, it's really cool to see that you've had that focus, you know, since the beginning of the company. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's definitely some products that, that aren't cost effective to make here in the U S and, and we definitely have those and that's a lot of your accessory items. Um, but when it comes to steel, like that's our, that's our thing that's going to be here. You know, we're going to be proud of what we do. We're going to be proud of that Ohio stamp or the U S stamp that, that we put on each of those products. And, and you're right. Yeah. It's allowed us to do things, um, in this current atmosphere that like wouldn't be possible. You know, we literally overnight switched our sewing department to make masks. And we had 3D printers that within two days we were making face shields. Granted, not at high volume. Um, You know, now we have volume with, you know, some of our injection molding and things like that. But if we weren't able to do that, you know, like if we were, you know, outsourcing or something like that, we, we couldn't do what we've done in the last 30 days. And that's really important to us. And I think it brings back just for, I think for the CrossFit community or people who are using your products in general, a lot of that pride for using equipment that's American made. And it's something that you don't see a lot these days. Like I know, you know, I grew up in Michigan. My dad also actually worked for General Motors. His dad worked for General Motors. My sister works there now. And there's a lot of pride for like, you know, American made cars. And that's something I grew up with. But I think if I hadn't had that experience growing up, I never would even think twice about most of it. And I think that's probably true for a lot of you know, the generation coming up today. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Bill and I are both from small communities and we have a similar, you know, like you're saying, we were brought up that way and, and just to, you know, re- respect some of those things. And, but I think that the big thing is, you know, we're trying to put out a high quality product that is going to last the test of time. And that's really what it's about, you know, be proud of what you, you know, our employees are proud of what they put out and, and so are we, and that's what we want someone to be able to enjoy. Um, and that's, you know, I don't ever see us going away from that because there, there's uh, such a pride behind that and uh, a push for that, that that's what this company is all about. It was cool to see. I watched your 10-year anniversary video that you guys made in 2016, and it was it definitely gave me goosebumps just to hear what a lot of your employees had to say and how, you know, just what an amazing opportunity you've made for so many people. And um, I know too, that, you know, a lot of the the culture that you've built and the values that you have at Rogue are really strong in everything you do. And you have three, you have three of those values written on your website. So the first one is we work until it's done. And then second one was everyone puts, everyone puts their boots on the same way. And then third one, high speed, low drag, which we've heard a lot and seen on t-shirts <laughs> and everything. But I think those are so cool. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what they mean and then how you put them into practice day to day at Rogue. And I think, uh, you know, those three things um, now that are on the website, but that's how we have worked from day one. You know, if we had something that got overrun and we didn't get shipments out, everybody in the building goes out and we get it out the door um, and, and we work until it's done. I mean, that's just, it is what it is, right? You do the job. Or if you look at any event that we do, let's say that, you know, we have to set up a big rig or we have to move a lot of weights into a facility. And they said, hey, you know, this has to be done by 5 a.m. That means we work all night. Mm-hmm. And there really is no question around that. And, and we work hard and, you know, we have some fun along the way, but that's, that's the way we do it. The second one's really important. And that's everybody puts their boots on the same way. And what that means is it doesn't matter your title here. 
You know, it could be the people on our leadership team, you know, Bill and I, or it could be, you know, the person, you know, coming in their first day on the job on the assembly line. Everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to be treated the same. And if it goes back to that first one, we work until it's done. If there are boxes that need to go out the door or we need to make more barbells, you're going to see the top leadership down going out and helping right now. And, uh, you know, we did get overrun before we could hire some people. We have everyone in our office right now. They are doing shifts on our production floor. And that's really what this is all about. And you see people, you get experiences that you normally wouldn't have, like to go out and build a barbell and and maybe you're in our IT department, like a lot of places you wouldn't have that opportunity, but we live by that standard. Everybody puts their boots on the same way. And if if you don't feel that, you know, that's not for everyone, but you're probably not going to make it here at Rogue if, if you don't live by that. Um, cause that's really important to us. And it's so cool. And, I think to see, to hear your employees talk about that, like in the video or just to see people, how, what that means to them to say, yeah, yeah, they're not, you know, there are leaders in this company, but they're not above us and they're going to get right next to us and do the work. And, you know, I think it's been cool seeing the CrossFit games and seeing you guys out there building rigs and doing everything just, you know, as part of the team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, like my, my dad still works for us here and, and a lot of people know, you know, my dad, Rick, uh, it's, uh, you know, if I was just brought up a certain way that if, if I walked by something that he was doing and I didn't look to maybe help or help someone that that's in need, like I would definitely hear about it. You know, I'm, I'm 37 <laughs> years old and I'm still going to hear about it today. And oh, there. <laughs> I just think there's, but there's something so simple about, you know, seeing someone that maybe is in need or seeing a team that's in need. And, and, um, if you're not helping them, like, what is that doing? You're, you're, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting the team and, and ultimately we're hurting the company. And, and that's just not how, you know, we function here. And, and, um, and that's why we have it on the website. Cause we're proud of that fact. And, uh, but you know, when it comes down to it, that's just, uh, that's how I was brought up. That's how, you know, a lot of our team team was brought up and, and really embrace it. You know, you get a, we are one team here in one building and that's really what's allowed us to do it. If you're in five buildings, it's a lot harder to make that face-to-face contact. And it was hard when we moved in, you know, you'd have a team that was across, you know, maybe the highway. And when we moved in, they're like, well, you know, this person emailed me and I'm like, well, that person is about 10 feet from you right now. How about we go introduce ourselves? And, and that's made things a lot easier in this building to build relationships and to really feel like we are one. And then, uh, you know, in times of need like this, when you see the entire office staff come out there and, and pull a shift, you really feel like there's that there's no barrier there. You know, everybody's kind of willing to do their own part and um, it really makes us better and, and it lifts us up. That's really cool. And it's cool because I think in a lot of ways, that's similar to what people get in a CrossFit gym too, right? Like you walk in the door, it doesn't matter who you are in the world. Yep. You're all just there sweating together and you know, there's something so cool about that. At the end of the day, we're all just humans and we're trying to do the best we can. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and then high speed, low drag. What's that one? about? <laughs> uh, that's just, uh, it, it kind of is what it is. You know, it's like the first one You just move at a pace, you know, and, and if, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it full tilt and, uh, within, you know, safe barriers, but that's it. Move, move with a purpose and, uh, always kind of just, uh, be the person leading from the front and not dragging you yourself down or, or your team down. I love it. Now we've also seen don't weaken a lot these days. Where did that mm-hmm. one come from? So, uh, Bill and I, uh, have some friends from Texas, uh, Terry and Jan Todd and Terry passed away, uh, about a year and a half ago. And he was a legend and a pioneer in the power lifting and, and the strongman space. So he was one of the 
I think he was the first guy to squat 700 and 800 pounds uh, in his day. And then uh, he started the Arnold Strongman Classic. And he had been part of World Strongest Man for a long time. But Bill and I got to be very close with them. And uh, Terry, one of Terry's sayings, and it's inside his, uh, the cover of his Inside Powerlifting uh, book that he has out. But it's uh, his thing from his aunt said, it's a good life if you don't weaken. Mm. And that's really, uh, it's just really a cool thing to, to live by. And, and uh, you know, we've really embraced that here over, you know, the past year and a half. And, and you know, particularly for Bill and I, it's a way to keep Terry's legacy alive. You know, he's done so many good things for just the Iron Game in general. And, you know, a lot of the Iron Game talk and the show that we came out with came from um, discussions with, with he and Jan. They, they ran the uh, Stark Center, which is a um, strength museum at the University of Texas. And that helps uh, their historians. So they help with the history piece. So they've been involved in our documentaries. Um, the index that's on our site, which is like a library of all the strength. You can go and um, look at all these strength articles and, and see the history of a barbell or a squat rack and how that kind of plays into, you know, our space now. But, you know, don't weekend for us is one of those things like everybody puts their boots on the same way. It's just uh, it's a good way to live. I love it. Well, that's cool to know where it came from. So you mentioned everyone on the team pitching in and pivoting to help manufacture PPE. So I wanted to chat for just a minute with one of those team members. Welcome. We're bringing in Amik Jones, who's the Director of Product Development at Rogue. So thank you for joining us. And it looks like you have some products there to show us too, which will be very cool. But maybe first, Katie, could you just talk big picture about you know when you guys heard, you realized that this coronavirus pandemic was coming and was going to be a big deal. You know, what was your first response, and then what are some of the things that that Rogue did um, early on to to respond? I think obviously, you know, in February we started to hear on the national news, but I think for us, we were a part in, at least in Ohio, the Arnold uh, sports festival was like really the hot spot, you yeah. know, at the beginning of March, because it was kind of down to like the like last 12 hours, if they were going to have it, if they weren't, um, they ended up going with no spectators and, and just letting the sports um, compete. And, and at the time it was, it was a, a it was a big argument point, right? Of like, was this the right decision? Obviously it had a, a huge economic impact on the city. And so it's a tough decision, but looking back on it, you know, obviously the right decision and where we're at, but we've kind of been in it from then, you know, we still supported all the events, uh, I think 12 different events um, at the Arnold. And then as we came out of that and we started to go to some of the, you know, the, the different things that we needed to do here, um, in mid-March, I mean, we were changing things daily um, here at the building. You know, we transitioned very quickly to having almost 200 people work at home. We hadn't done that before. So there were obviously some um, some pumps along the way, but I think we're in a good spot now there. So they're still working at home. And then, you know, like I said, we've added 200 people to our operations. So we went from, you know, about 400 people in the building to now, you know, we're at 600 just on the operations floor. And I think that's uh, the big thing, you know, we have when you come in our building, there's a tent that every employee goes in. We've, we've went down to one entrance. So you come in the tent, uh, there's portable wash stations. Everyone washes their hands. They get their temperature taken. Um, they have the ability to choose a mask if they want one. Um, and then they clean all their PPE and then, and then they come in the building and, you know, we've been able to do some other things like, uh, you know, staggering our lunches. We, we created more break rooms in, in the gym. We shut down retail. 
And so now if you, you know, we're providing lunch three times a week um, from local businesses and it's been like crazy for, you know, in that 30 day period of all that transition. And, um, you know, Amik's been very helpful because uh, he'll probably be too humble about himself, but he, uh, before he came to us, he still is a doctor, but he was practicing medicine full time. Um, but he's been inter- instrumental in, in helping us and guiding us in, in these decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk just a little bit about your background? Because I know, you know, we talked briefly before, but you were working as a radiologist and then somehow ended up as director of product development at Rogue. So how did that path happen? <laughs> um, well, so, so I was uh, in the Navy uh, working as a radiologist. Actually, I was a radiology president at the time. And I had a, uh, I had an equipment sales uh, website that was competing with uh, Katie and Bill's. And, ah. uh, and I was filling uh, orders to one in the morning and then trying to be a resident, falling asleep during the conference. And they were kind enough to bring me in rather than uh, you know, have me probably fail at both the things I was trying to accomplish. <laughs> so once I finished my commitment uh, to the Navy, I, I came here full time. Wow. Very cool. So, you know, not only are you guys having to make all these changes to keep your employees safe, but you're dramatically changing your operations and the things that you're manufacturing. And I think you know, it says a lot about you guys as a company too, because in a time when one, you know, home workout equipment is in huge demand. So, you know, you know, you could easily have just focused all your efforts on making a ton more gym equipment because people, you know, want that now too. But you've decided, no, we're going to also put our focus on making PPE and trying to protect our healthcare workers. So what went into that decision? I think it was a really easy decision. And, you know, we talked earlier about just being able to be agile and, and change kind of on a dime. And, um, you know, we know some some people in the, the governor's office and and very quickly after we, we started into the stay-at-home order, um, we reached out and said, what can we do? Can we make masks? We have a full sewing department. Can we utilize our product development team to to come up with some other things? And and they responded very quickly and said yes to all. Um and so we started sewing masks, I think, within two days, um, you know, and just using like uh, T-shirt material and things like that um, to get it out. And, and um, from that day, we've been giving out, you know, anywhere from 200 to 1,000 masks a day to, to local organizations and, and the city and things like that. And then, you know, we, we got into the face shields that Amic found on an open source, Amic and Bill found on an open source site. He's, he's showing you there right now. And, you know, I'll let him take you through the process. But the coolest part about that is we put out something on Instagram basically to the world saying, Hey, this is the design, you know, um, gave credit to the guy that we found it from and, and let's help, you know, can you help us get some with your 3d printers and can you help your own local? So what we did is like, if you were in Ohio, we had them drop them off if, if they were close enough, but if not, we said, Hey, here's some shields, take them to your local hospital and, and give back. And, uh, I think the coolest one was we had a 14 year old, um, boy, uh, email us and say, Hey, I've made some of these, you know, what do we want to do? And he's up in your area up near Cleveland, I think. And, and just to see the response and people coming together in that community, it's just like, it knocks down all the barriers. And, you know, I think that's the coolest thing to come out of this is just watching everyone come together and, and put in work and, and how they can help everyone else. And that's really how, you know, a lot of the designs we've worked with either other people that have emailed into us or, you know, we've worked with Ohio health and Ohio state to come up with a lot of this stuff. One to make sure that we're, you know, following within regulations and things like that, but they've been extremely helpful. And 
Um, it's been an amazing project to be a part of and uh, to know that we can do our part to give back to kind of those in need that, you know, have helped us out along the way. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. You have actually a tracker, like I think it's roguefitness.com forward slash COVID-19. Yeah. How many of each of these you made? And I looked, it was yesterday, but there was over 350,000 face masks you've made, yep. 200,000 face shields and 90 air respirators. So that is a lot of equipment in a short amount of yeah. time. But yeah. can you take us through sort of the process for, you know, in those first, you know, couple days as you're experimenting with the t-shirts to where we're at, where you're at now? Well, so when we went, we went first with the t-shirt masks uh, to uh, Ohio Health and we said, hey, we've got these, we can make these now. And they said, well, these are great for, um, you know, kind of non-clinical people. We wanted something, wanted something that would be, um, you know, more effective and, you know, closer to what they would be getting, you know, from a, a purchase product. And so we worked with them to, uh, to you know, we actually ended up using surgical the, uh, the material that you use to wrap, like sterile surgical trays, okay, and, and made a mask from that. Um, our our soft goods designer came up with a with a method, and then came up with, uh, and we went back and forth with them a few times until we got something that they were happy with that would be basically uh, replace their procedure mask. Okay, and and so that was something we provided, you know, uh, a number of at the beginning, but very quickly we found that through our um, through our procurement sourcing, we were able to get paper masks, you know, paper procedure masks much faster than we could make them. And so because of that, we transitioned back to doing predominantly the t-shirt masks because those were something that we could give out to other uh, places, community, as uh, Katie mentioned, uh, homeless shelters, rehab centers, um, uh, the, uh, the local bus system, police officers, firefighters. Um, at this, during the same meetings, we also went with face shields. We want something much less elaborate than this to start. And they said, that's not really what we're looking for. And so um, one of our designers, uh, Nash Donahue, found, found a design from uh, a company called Pressa that we brought to them. We printed one and we brought to them and said, that's great. That's what we want. Keeps the, uh, keeps the shield far enough from the, uh, from the provider's face that they can wear the N95 mask. That's what we're looking for. But even though we purchased five additional 3D printers, we can only make 40 a day. And so uh, local, uh, we reached out to a local um, injection molding company and then another injection molding company in Colorado that worked with for some of our other stuff. And the first company got the mold done in four days, something that usually takes eight weeks. Wow. And the second one, I think, did it in six days. And so from that point, we've been getting eight to 10,000 facials a day. Sorry, I think that goes back to my point, Julia, of like people were willing to do things that they normally wouldn't do. You know, you're talking about an eight-week process that went into four days. And I mean, we were just amazed, but that's how, you know, it wasn't just us pitching in. All of our vendors are like, how can we help? You know, they were either sourcing material for us or making molds and things like that. And I think that's what has made this process so successful is that everyone has been willing to pitch in at, at this point, no one has told us, no, you know, they want to be a part of it and they want to help. It's amazing. Yeah. One of the, one of the neat stories uh, regarding that is uh, we bought three 3d printers and they were, they had shipped from Boston and we thought we bought them on Thursday, thought that they were going to be here on Tuesday. They had to ship freight. And uh, the company we bought them from called, called me up at nine mornings. They're here. <laughs> like uh, 
they had missed their normal shipment, hired a dedicated truck, and the truck driver drove all night, had him here, and by noon we were printing more face shields. Wow. It was really amazing. That's so cool. It's so cool. It's true. The way that, you know, when faced with a challenge, how how people really do come together and rise to the occasion. Um, so then tell us about these air respirators. So um, I talked to I talked to my neighbors who happened to work for Ohio Health and then got some, uh, uh, one of my, my, my sisters is Dennis at Stanford, and I talked to, to her, one of her husband's colleagues who's, who's high up in Stanford, and he said, what we, he said, we don't really need ventilators. So what we need is we need packers. We need our air purifying respirators. So that's what... That's what changed the tide in Italy and, and made it so um, providers were you know, stopped getting infected. It's just much more comfortable, something you can wear all day, and it's much more protective because of the positive pressure than wearing you know, an N95 mask and goggles or a face shield. And so um, when uh, we, we met with the, the Ohio Health regarding the masks and, and face shields, I said, well, what about pepper bits? And I said, we don't have any pepper you know, we, We're almost out of pepper bits. We can't buy them anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and so they said, we would love to have those. Um, and so we started uh, working on uh, sewing those. Um, our our softest designer, Lori Coughlin, who's basically a genius at, at this stuff, it's still really difficult to come up with something that's gonna give a reasonable seal and fit with everything very, very quickly. And so as she was developing this paperhood, um, we were, uh, we were uh, uh, buying peppers uh, that were not really normally the ones that they were using in the hospitals just to do research. And we found, so we found actually, we found a company in California that was able to sell us you know, 60 of them. And we, we brought those in and realized that we could print a, an adapter that would let us use that paper that was you know, made for something more industrial for the medical providers with their current system. So we basically did a different connector that connected into their hood and that. And so once we, so we went to the hospital with that, they, they said, I saw that and they said, well, you know what, we have like 400 more paper hoods that are you know, a different design, can you make some adapter for that? And so that actually was a way that we were able to help a lot easier than making you know, the packages while we were trying to get this, so get this done. So over the course of a couple of weeks, we printed 600 adapters to, to help get more of what they have into service. Um, the latest thing we're doing with that is they had a bunch of old blowers with batteries that were worn out. And so what we're going, what we're doing with that is either providing them with an external battery pack, which is a powerful battery, or um, and we're also looking at just rebuilding their batteries with uh, with readily available rebuild kits to let those those uh, it's a fifty additional packages get those back in the service. But additionally, we wanted to in case you know we didn't have uh, you know we you know not everybody has packages that can be either use an adapter or a new battery, we, we went into trying to design our own. And um, our designer, Brian Adams, uh, came up with uh, a design that uses uh, basically NATO thread canisters, which are more readily available than the typical paper canisters, still the same NIOSH rating, the same Magenta rating, but something that we might be able to find once everybody's used up the, the normal ones that that, that people typically use for hospitals 
found uh, found fans online, and um, over the course of the last couple of weeks, has been designing and printing various housings, and you know has come up with one that uh, that works. It puts out the right amount of pressure. Um, you know, it uses uh, uses again these NATO threaded canisters, and it's something that we could get into the hands of uh, providers as they need them. That's incredible! Wow. It's so cool to to hear the evolution too, and the feedback that you're getting, and you know how you can adapt based on what the needs what the needs are. Um, so thank you so much for showing us all of that, and it, it'll be cool to see you know how things continue to evolve. Thanks so much for taking the time, Amik. Now back to Katie. You mentioned a little bit about just how uh, you know what it's like to work at Rogue and having all of your employees work together. I know you also have had a big emphasis on trying to, you know, invest in their fitness and trying to get people to, um, you know, practice a sort of a CrossFit lifestyle. What has that been like? And what have you noticed for, for people who do get into it? How has that affected, you know, their work and the community that you have? Well, I think it's, it's really important. So we run, uh, so Dan Bailey is our head trainer um, and he runs six classes a day and they're, they're all CrossFit based. We do have other, uh, he's got a strength program it goes, he's got an endurance program that you can do on your own. Um, and just recently we added like at home and like limited equipment and things like that. And for those that, you know, maybe don't want to do CrossFit, they want to do something else, we can provide a program for that. And that's really, you know, especially recently, we've seen a big increase when we did the, the home workouts. Um, we had, I think, I want to say 60 or 70 people sign up within the first four days. Um, which is great because, you know, when you're in here, it's not just about, you know, and maybe for some people it is, it's just a job, but really, if you really want to be a part of that team, it, it grows because you start to understand what we do, right? We're putting out that product and, and you get to use it. And I think, uh, you, you feel, you start to feel that community because you can, you can walk into certain classes, like the noon class is probably one of our biggest classes and, and they have a great vibe and they all get along together and they work really hard and, and I think for all those uh, that you see in there, it starts to translate out into, into their work as well because they start to get a passion for um, something that they can do on a daily basis. And I, I definitely, I mean, I'm a big believer that it translates. Like if you have a passion um, kind of for your job and, and you understand the product you're putting out, it's, uh, it allows you to do your job better because you can think about it in ways that like you wouldn't put it, let's, let's take a product, you wouldn't put it on the website and have someone using it in a certain way if, if, if you use the product, because you know that maybe it's not used that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned this a little bit early on about how you really protect that time for yourself every day to work out. Um, I can imagine that that's challenging to do just with everything you have going on. There's always something that needs your attention. There's always more work to do. Um, what have been some of the ways... I mean, what? how did you learn that that was important? And then what have been some of the ways that you do that you protect that time or that you make sure that you take time to kind of recover or do things outside of work? There's a couple, I mean, there was some times in like 2000, maybe 11, 12 that I was not taking time for myself and we were working a ton. I mean, there wasn't, you know, I still still think we were under like a hundred employees, but just doing a lot. And um, I wasn't taking the time and I started to get miserable. Like I didn't feel good. I was moody. Um, and then I just finally had a day where like, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to take 45 minutes to an hour. And, you know, I'm not like trying to win the CrossFit game. So I don't, even if I get 25 minutes, um, I'm going to do that. And I just, 
kind of made a little pact with myself and, and I've been pretty open about it, you know, with Bill and, and I'll even come home some nights and he's like, you just need to work out. And I'm like, all right, I'll go out to the gym and, and uh, I do a workout and I come back on, I'm in a better mood or I feel better. I just like kind of a weight's lifted off my chest and, yeah. um, but that's, you know, but I get creative. Like I have a biker in my office and mm-hmm. it fits under my desk. So like, if I know it's going to be a really long day or maybe I'm just not feeling it, I'll get on there. And th- through this whole time, so this last month, I've been trying to do 20,000 to 30,000 meters a day nice. on the bike, just spinning yeah. and not intense, but I'm moving for, you know, hour to two hours a day. And, um, that makes me feel better. And I, I'm more productive in my, in my uh, position here. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I've certainly been through that period. I think a lot of people have where you just, you know, somehow you have to learn the lesson that that's what you need to do to kind of stay. Yeah. Um, do you, do you try to schedule it at certain times a day? Like, are you a morning person or do you always try to carve out certain times or does it depend on? On the day. It just, it depends on the day. It depends on my meeting schedule. Um, there's some mornings where I actually, I feel better throughout the day. If like I get up early and do a, you know, a 5am workout and before I come into work. But if, if I, my body feels like it needs more rest, I'll, you know, I'll sleep until six and, and then do it at night. Um, and it's just kind of how I feel throughout the day. I'm not, I'm not set in a specific time frame. Um, I did like two years ago, I, I got into cycling. So I try to get in one long, like when it's nice out, I'll try to get in one long ride a week, whether that's 50 or 60 miles at a time. And, and that's been refreshing mentally. I used to do it with earphones in with music. And, and now I really enjoy the freedom of just getting on my bike and being alone with my thoughts. And, you know, usually it's on Sunday, so I can work out a lot of like what I need to do in the following week. Yeah. Um, and come back in and I'm ready to go for the week. And, and that's something that's, you know, I used to hate like long endurance things, but I think kind of as I've progressed into, you know, maybe not being as intense in the gym, um, it's actually been fun for me. That's awesome. Getting some of that nature in too. Yeah. Um, are there any mentors that you look to or any, any role models in the world of business or kind of creating company culture or, you know, how you how you um, act as a leader at Rogue? Uh, I think that was really shaped by my college coach, Jim Foster. You know, at the time I was, what, you know, 19, 20, and I maybe didn't agree with how he was doing it or, or how he was pushing me. But a lot of how we do it here is that, you know, everybody puts their boots on the same way. That's, that's how we were as a team at Ohio State. You know, we didn't have our names on our back. We, we wore the same shorts. We wore the same color top and socks, you know, down to our shoes. And it was... Um, at the time, you know, I think we wanted a little bit more freedom, but looking back on it, it taught us some things. And, you know, I still talk to him and I tell him that things he taught me, you know, then I, you know, maybe cursed at him, uh, cursed him that, uh, he was doing it at the time, but now I find myself doing that daily. Mm-hmm. You know, the way you lead people are like, not everyone's the same. So you can't come with the same intensity or the same approach for everybody. And you have to be able to you know, just relate to them as a person, you know, not everyone's going to have a great day, someone's going to have an off day, but understanding that and being curious. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned in the last 10 years is, you know, to listen and to ask, you know, like, just be curious as to why someone thinks a certain way, why they, um, you know, are doing something a certain way that, you know, isn't necessarily my approach or, or the business's approach. And, you come out with a better uh, product if you do that. And you develop better relationships because 
people understand that you're not just about what, you know, I want to say. It's about what, you know, the relationship is about. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learning from different people and yeah, you end up with a better, a better process in the end when you incorporate all of those different perspectives. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I say coach Foster, but there are people that I look to every day, you know, and I think that's, you should always want to be willing to grow. You know, I, I read a ton now and I think that's been uh, instrumental in my gro- growth, but just, you know, particularly for, for us females, finding other female leaders that can have been through the paces and, and asking them questions of like, you know, how did you approach this? How did you go into a meeting and have the confidence to step up and say something and, and being okay with, uh, you know, being the person that's asking a question that is a differing opinion than the rest of the room. That was a, that was a big, uh, a stepping stone for me. And I think just watching other leaders out there in, in, in the world or just here in the community um, has helped me a ton. Do you have in any way a typical day? Like how does a typical day run for, for you? The only typical day that like piece of my day is that we have a 930 ops meeting every day. So uh, my start of shift and end of shift can vary between, you know, two and three hours on the back end of each one. Um, but other than that, it's kind of whatever's coming at us in, in that time frame, you know, in the day. And so that's what I really like about our, my job, though. I don't I'm not stuck into a certain thing like Mondays are this and Tuesdays are this or, or even just, you know, the week is like this. And um, operationally, it's something different every day that I get to pay attention to it and learn and, uh, and build something. And for me, that that's great. You know, some people can be set and they're very focused, but that, that wouldn't be for me. You know, I, I really want to have a broad spectrum of, of things that, that I can do on a daily basis and, and can be, uh, passionate about. And I think that's, um, why I really still enjoy every day when I, I drive to work and I drive by the front of the building with the flags flying in front and I'm, I'm excited to walk in the doors. And, and I think when that, when that doesn't happen, it's, it's time for me to do something different, but you know, here we are, what, you know, 13 years later and, and I'm still really enjoying, you know, what I do. Awesome. Can you think of, are there any moments that stand out? I'm sure there's a lot, but any particular moments that stand out where you have just sort of stepped back and, and thought, wow, you know, I'm really proud of what we're doing here. Um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely time and it depends on what we're doing, right? It's um, on the event side, I think, you know, that first O course, well, what we're calling an obstacle course on, on the tennis stadium that morning, uh, I think when we were watching that first event, we we're like, wow, you know, that's, that's really cool. And in a particular moment, the first year that we built Zeus in the soccer stadium, we were drive. it was like, I want to say three in the morning and we were following Bill and I were following out the scissor lifts and there was just a couple spotlights. So there was a couple spotlights on the guys driving and I just looked at Bill and I was like, that's the coolest thing we've ever built. And that's cool. You know, one of the coolest things, you know, I've been a part of and, and I got goosebumps again, you know, and then I think just as a whole for rogue, I think when we moved in this building and when we first saw the walls going up and just watching that process, like, it's been so fun. You know, there's been a lot of people that have, have come and gone and have been instrumental to this business. And, and there'll be more people that walk in the doors that make us a better team. And if you don't get excited about that and, and you're not proud and you don't look back on those moments, I think you're missing it. You're missing, you know, some fun things in life and, and you're too serious because you got to look back on the past to learn for the future. Absolutely. All right. So there's three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So 
it's your turn. (laughs) Um, uh, The first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Uh, Work out every day, make sure that, uh, you know, I eat clean and healthy food, but uh, uh, indulge when, when I need to. And uh, um, just taking time for myself um, and trying to do that weekly. And sometimes that's hard, but just holding myself to that and holding myself accountable to that. What about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time doing it? Not eating sweets. Yeah. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't, if we don't have them in the house, I'm, I'm very good at it. But like the moment that I have something in the house, it's, it's, it's a problem because every night I think about it. <laughs> I'm the exact same way. That's why I can't buy ice cream anymore. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I bought it last week and I was like, it's got to go. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. What does a healthy life look like to you? Just taking care of yourself, whether that, and it's just moving, you know, get out and move every day. You know, not everyone can do heavy workouts or can get to a gym, something, you know, and especially right now, some people don't have the means to have a gym. So just getting out and, and moving and then being aware of what you're putting in your body. And I think that's really important. And it's important to know how you feel when you do eat that way. Um, and you take care of yourself. And, and it's, a, it's amazing how, your, um, how you shift in your mind and, and what, what you feel like. And, and I think that's, that's hard to break for, for some people. And, and it's hard to do. Um, but if you know, if it were easy, like it can't be easy. Life's not easy. So you got to make some hard choices. And, uh, I, I think, um, if you do anything, you know, to start, it's just to get out and move. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Katie and Amic and Rogue Fitness for everything that you do. Um, I know, you know, whenever I think of Rogue, I always think of really good people, people who work hard, really high quality equipment, um, American made equipment. And I know, you know, now seeing everything that you're doing in this time is just giving people so much more respect for everything that you've been able to do. So thank you again. And, you know, for big and small ways, I mean, little ways I was thinking this morning as I was working out in my living room with my rogue kettlebell, you know, the fact that I could get a workout in at home, bigger ways in, in terms of what you're doing for, um, you know, the Columbus community, the economy, you know, the United States economy in general, um, and how you're supporting our healthcare workers. So thank you again. We're going to you know, be excited to see everything that you guys continue to do. Thank you. And thank you and Danny for what you guys are doing as well. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I always like to recap my biggest takeaways after the conversation. And there were so many here, but I just keep coming back to Rogue's values. We work until it's done. Everyone puts their boots on the same way and high speed, low drag. I loved the way that Katie explained each of these and how they implement them on a daily basis at Rogue Fitness. I think all three of these things, teamwork and working together to get the job done, humility and efficiency are values that we can all apply in various aspects of our lives. I hope that you had some great takeaways from this conversation too. 